You're listening to the Ministry Grow Show, brought to you by Reliant Creative, the creative agency for gospel-centered ministries. Find out more at ReliantCreative.org. Welcome to the Ministry Grow Show, a podcast dedicated to helping churches and ministries grow and make more effective impacts for the kingdom of God in an ever-changing digital world. Whether you're building and growing a gospel-centered ministry or leading a church, if you want insight into the strategies, struggles, challenges, and successes of other ministry leaders, you've come to the right place. Welcome back to the Ministry Growth Show. Today on the show, I'm going to be talking with Bethany Williams and Matthew Williams, who are co-founder and CEOs of Exile International. Thanks, guys, for being on the show. Thanks Thanks for for having us. Thanks for having us. Yeah, I'm excited to have you guys on. So um, as we get started, can you guys tell us a little bit about Exile International, maybe how you got started and uh, maybe what you're specifically excited about lately? Sure. Um, So we started in 2008. I actually um, started the organization in 2008 after a trip to Congo for the first time. I'd been to Africa several times before, um, but went to Congo with a group of ladies, actually. um, And we led a trauma healing workshop for some other ladies who were living in a refugee camp and met child soldiers on that trip. Uh, met children who'd been orphaned by the war on that trip and really um, was wrecked by what I'd seen. I'd been to several African countries before, but I'd never seen war firsthand. Um, And I'd certainly never met children who'd survived war. And so I had actually been through my own journey through Mm. trauma. So I knew what a flashback was and what PTSD felt like. And, um, I think at a heart level connected to the kids that I met. Um, I'm a psychologist and Matthew has his master's in um, trauma care. So, um, you know, my heart, of course, broke not only because I had a taste of what trauma felt like, but also because um, heart healing was so much a part of my work. Um, And so, yeah, went back, plane ride back home. Um, kind of that story you hear a lot where where you just become so passionate about something that you can't not do it. And um, I, I say a lot that I feel mm-hmm. like I lit a fire in my belly and I just couldn't really look away from it all. And so I, I feel like back then he really gave me a clear vision of, or really a question um, of what if these kids could do more than just survive war? What if they could do more than just heal from their trauma? Could they become peace leaders? Could we help them um, and really partner with local leaders to help them heal from their wounds of trauma, but also invest in their hearts with peace building and conflict resolution skills and leadership skills? Um, And so that's kind of how the ministry started. And that was in 2008, and we started partnering with local leaders, working with about 25 kids. And fast forward to today, and we're working with 1,200 kids in the countries of Uganda. Yeah, we're in two countries, Uganda and Congo, and we have 150 volunteers and staff who lead the programs overseas. So it's really cool just to see what God's done with a little seed. Um, I often say that this was his idea and he kind of asked us to come along with him. Um, and so he's, he's just kind of blessed it and gone forward, gone before us really. 
Yeah, that's so cool. How he always does, right? He's already working in places all over the world, and and he, in his kindness and grace and just sheer awesomeness, decides to invite us into that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then Matthew, that was so three years into exile. I met Matthew, um, and we talked a little bit about our story offline, which I'm not going to bore anybody with that. But if you want to <laughs> know it, then let me know. I'll tell you the story because it's pretty awesome. But um, he, yeah. So three years into the organization, then I met Matthew. He started volunteering. Uh, we got married, and so now we run the organization together, which is which is pretty cool. Um, yeah. That's very cool. And so, Matthew, as you've entered into this organization and and been a part of what what um, Exile has been doing, what was maybe the thing that sparked, like Bethany sparked that fire in her gut? What was the thing that sparked the fire in your gut early on? Um, so I did my undergrad in psychology and was planning to pursue a master's in counseling or biblical counseling, uh, though I did not yet know what population I wanted to serve. But um, kind of in late high school was when I became a believer and started asking the Lord what he wanted for my life, not just asking myself for what I wanted. I was the weird eight-year-old that had my life planned out. I was going to be an engineer and I was going to make all this <laughs> stuff. Um, I mean, I, it. I'm not kidding. At eight years old, I was thinking about the scholarships I needed and stuff like that. But then mm-hmm. I'm a believer around age 16, and I started asking God, like, what do you want from me? And that's where I felt like my gifting was in the area of counseling. So pursued my uh, bachelor's in psych and was soon to start my master's in counseling when I saw the very first Invisible Children documentary. And this is about 2005, 2006 at that time. Mm-hmm. And that was something that um, I, I dreamed about at night. I thought about throughout the day. I could not stop thinking about it. So I found one of the few organizations that was taking volunteers. It was still during the active war time in northern Uganda back then. Um, I found a, an organization that I could volunteer with um, the summer before grad school. Um, and it was there in the displacement camps, which for those who don't know, a displacement camp is a refugee camp, but within your own country. So it's called internally displaced people's camps. So in short, displacement camps. So it was there in those displacement camps, um, surrounded by people who had survived 20 years of war, that I felt my kind of um, God light bulb go off, is how I often put it. And there's no booming voice, but it was a light bulb. It said, this is, this is what I made you for. This is what you're going to do. So I focused um, graduate school, uh, which was a master's in counseling, uh, with I uh, focused the emphasis of that on trauma, um, aiming to... Um, you know, eventually work with this population. And it was, uh, you know, later down the road and several years later, lots of other volunteer opportunities throughout the years, a little break from school, grad school, because I was tired of learning about it and wanted to do it. I took a semester off and volunteered with another organization. But anyways, um, fast forward to 2011, um, I read, I end up on exileinternational.org and I read the mission statement for the organization and the mission statement for my life was written there. It's everything I was pursuing. And um, Mm. yeah, it worked out. It worked out. So here I am. Now, I mean, both of you guys, I mean, Bethany, you have a PhD. Did you have your PhD before you went into full-time ministry in 2008 or is that something you got throughout this process? Because the reason I ask is your education is very much tailored to the the niche work that you guys are doing within the ministry space. 
Yeah, so I actually, um, my master's is in social work, got my license as a clinical social worker, and then um, finished my PhD before I founded Exile. And I was in full-time private practice. Um, So, I mean, making pretty good money, had kind of dug my way out of some debt that I had and um, had really just finally got my feet on the ground after some treatment that I received for for PTSD. Um, Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I was finally getting my head above water and then I went into a war zone and it completely rocked my world. So, so I ended up, um, yeah, I mean, eventually um, scaled down my private practice, the larger that exile became. Um, but the, you know, the core of the, of course, the core focus of exile is art focused trauma care, peace building, um, conflict resolution skills and holistic rehabilitation. So the core of what we do is heart care and soul care. Um, so I think it, you know, it's a cool story really in both of our lives of how God used our passion for the vulnerable and also our education in, in one sphere, um, yeah. To create a ministry and redirected it to mm-hmm. to, to his purposes. Exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. That's, a good way to put it. That's really cool. Now that art um, piece is really interesting to us. I mean, we're a creative agency and mm-hmm. and a, a nonprofit at that. And so this idea of storytelling for God's glory is really, really uh, on like core to who we are as an agency. Um, was that art piece a always an element within Exile International, or is that something that happened um, as you progress through growth within the ministry? What does that kind of look like? Yeah, so the first year, um, really, I guess it was about three months after I founded Exile, the first place I went to was Uganda to do research because, of course, the war in Uganda had been going on for so long. And um, I really wanted to meet with local leaders and local counselors to find out what they were doing to help their own children. Um, You know, 60,000 children were abducted because of the war in Uganda by the LRA. And there were some really good rehabilitation programs on the ground there. And so I did a lot of research um, surrounding what was working and what wasn't working. And one theme was art, dance, drama, and music and how um, Northern Ugandans were using that to help heal the wounds of children who'd survived the war. And I'd used um, therapeutic art in my private practice with kids because I specialize in kids. And so it was a, it was a love for mine anyway, um, as was dancing, as was music. <laughs> and so it all She's ever in a bad mood. I just turn on a song and I should It's really true. Like if you can turn on 50s and 60s music, it does not matter what kind of mood I'm in. I'm just, I just start dancing and singing. Um, so it's kind of all, all natural. And then um, when we started the work in Congo, it was just a natural fit because if you've been to Africa, music and dance and drama and the arts are just a part of their language. And so it was really yeah. just using what was already a part of their language for healing. And so it's just been really beautiful to see the kids come back to life again and writing songs about surviving captivity and being rescued and doing dramas about the war and how they were, how they survived that um, and drawing their heartaches and drawing their hopes and dreams. So it's just a beautiful way for the kids to be able to heal without having to use language, um, which is sometimes tough. Yeah. I think that ties in as well. Um, kind of the theme of the last question where 
where God is using and often uses those pieces he's already put in place. And really, we're just discovering that, oh, like, that's why I ended up in my internship. The art therapist quit and they threw in the intern to take over the art therapy groups. And I had no interest in that. Um, And it's just so interesting how because art is already a part of the culture and then come to find out it's actually a really wonderful tool when it comes to trauma healing because you ask someone who has gone through horrific trauma to share with you what what they experienced to share that pain that's really difficult it's extremely difficult especially for children to put words to the horrific trauma that they've been through but give them an opportunity to draw or another artistic expression. And it's just that one degree of separation from, from words that it's easier to then begin releasing the trauma that's trapped inside of them. Um, And it's just a really beautiful and uh, effective tool in trauma healing. That's really cool. And and hearing how you guys have structured that and, 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 watching how you've gone in and one made sure that you're you're staying culturally relevant and and figuring out what is what is going to be culturally relevant within this culture not just like we want to be culturally respectful i think that that's a big topic with a lot of ministries we want to be culturally respectful and not bring our western way of doing things to a different culture but like mm-hmm. you guys have taken that to another level and I, I think that ministries can learn a lot from that and um, not just being culturally respectful and i i don't know what ways to uh, what other ways to communicate that but not just being culturally respectful but um you've taken that a step further and that's really there's something beautiful about that it, looked into what God is already doing in that place and said, Hey, we're going to join with him in that because he ultimately uh, knows what's going to be most culturally effective um, better than anyone else. So yeah, wow. That's that's, a great point. That's a great point. I never really thought about that, but that's so true. Now offline, you guys shared a topic of soul care of leaders balancing passion and wisdom. So can you walk us through what you mean by that? I mean, you've talked about um, the soul care of the beneficiaries that you're serving, the children that you're serving. What does it look like to provide that same um, soul care and heart care for your leaders and your national partners? Yeah. And this topic is, it's dear to our hearts in many ways. One, because we have done this so wrong (laughs) and um, I've, (laughs) I've been through burnout twice. Matthew's been through burnout once. And um, yeah, so we've just done it wrong, but we've also learned so, so much from it. Um, and I think what what I've realized is that, especially in the work that we do, we work in war zones, we work in post-conflict areas and um, topics of like rebels taking over cities or ambushes or kidnappings it's just like part of our daily language and mm. uh, the stories that we hear from the kids of them being kidnapped abducted at really young ages and forced to kill family members um, we've both been through secondary trauma because of just the reality and the stories that we've heard and so one thing that we've realized is the balancing of passion and wisdom is so important for the long term like you can you can work in hardcore ministry and really all ministry, I guess is hardcore, but 
Um, you mean like work car- hardcore and get, go 90 to nothing. Right. Yeah. yeah. And you can do that for a certain period of time and then you burn out and then you move on to the next thing. But for I'm not us, just saying Reddit. What you're saying is we're saying we did that. Yeah. Went, 100%. Oh, I can't do this forever. 100%. I mean, the first three years I was full-time private practice in my counseling practice in full-time building an organization. I, I literally would wake up. And I would work until it was time to go to bed. And then I would do the same thing all over again. Um, Mm. So we both, I mean, we've both done it really wrong. But I think what God has taught me through it is um, if you let your passion lead without your wisdom, you will absolutely burn out. Mm. But when your wisdom kind of takes over and it says, what does balance look like? Um, What does self-care look like? What does listening to your body look like? then you're more likely to be there for the long haul for the, for those really that you serve. Um, and we've, we've had to put a lot of rhythms in place, both with working together and being married. Like we don't, as a rule, we don't talk about work after seven. We don't talk about work on the weekends and there are always exceptions. Like I could wake up on a Saturday morning and ETN could have WhatsApped me and said, Something, something like yeah. one of the, yeah, what, you know, there are rebels that are, that are um, invading one of the villages where the peace club is. So of course I'm not going to keep that and not talk to Matthew yeah. about that. Yeah. We just had right. to at one point realize um, to find that balance. It was okay. Hey, we're going to set some boundaries. Um, yeah. There's going to be exceptions, but if exceptions become the rule, then okay, we're messing up. But as long as we're, trying to protect some time to also be a married couple and also time to enjoy God's creation and time to exercise and just enjoy life. Uh, it allows us to fill up so that we continue, can continue to give out over the uh, long term. Yeah, we use that term a lot, actually filling up to give out, because um, if you're giving out consistently of a dry place, if you're an executive or, or you're a leader, it can actually become traumatic for you. Mm-hmm. Um, especially if you're a push through kind of person and both of us are push through kind of people. I'm a one, I'm a three on the Enneagram and Matthew's a one on the Enneagram. So um, <laughs> for those that don't know, the, the three is the, the achiever. achiever. Uh, there's nothing Bethany cannot achieve. Um, and the one as the reformer, and I want to perfect everything. Um, yeah, we yeah. both like to work hard. Yeah. So for us, filling up to give out means if you're if you're crafting time in your day and in your in your week to fill up on God, to find out what gives you joy, to find out what gives you energy, then you can give out from that place as opposed to trying to mm-hmm. give out from a dry, um, hollow place. And just it, it's the difference in force and flow. You know, flow is I'm filling up and I'm giving out from like a, a source as opposed to forcing it and just pushing through, even though you don't have it within you anymore. That's really good. That's funny. You guys bring up the Enneagram and even more funny that I'm a three with a secondary as a one. So my, my, I, yeah, that, that, driven, what's that? That's why we liked you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We knew it. We knew it right off the bat. Yeah. That with, with that achiever mentality, you, you can drive and push until you're you've buried yourself. And I, I haven't experienced that in ministry. Um, I, before I went full-time ministry, I was, I had other companies that I was running and I was trying to balance four different companies, one of them being the ministry. And it, there was definitely a level of burnout within that because I, 
you know, working 78 hours, 80 hours a week, not um, making time or balance for the rest of my life. And yeah, uh, it, you know, you just, you, those of us that, and I think this, this is true for most executive directors. Uh, we are driven care, have driven character characteristics. I think that that is characteristics that are given to us by God because he's asked us and put us in leadership positions for with like visionary type positions for organizations. And um, he, like those driver characteristics are important for a position like that. But it, if you're not careful, you can get into a place where that becomes ultimate and, rather than making Christ ultimate. And so that, yeah. that's what happened to me. Like I, I made the businesses being successful so that I could fund the ministry on my own. Now there's other things like pride that were involved with that, but like that, it, it buried you and it buried me and, and uh, it's not, it's not a healthy place to be. And ultimately for your beneficiaries, and I think you've touched on this, like it doesn't serve them well if you're burning out every couple of years or if you burn out and just shut the ministry down. Uh, like w- at the end of the day, you've, you've provided a level of care for maybe a handful of years, but then left them to nothing. And so no guidance or help or whatever you've set up to provide that. And, um, that can be, that can be more detrimental than, than, uh, doing anything at all at times. So, um, it's important for ministry leaders, I think, to, to find balance and not drive so hard. I think we want to like, I'm driving hard because the Lord has called me to this and that's just the way it has to be. Um, I think that that can be a dangerous place to, to sit in. Yeah, that's true. And especially thinking that, you know, if you're if if in a ministry you're serving other people, then it's not just about if you're you can push yourself, but it's also yeah. about um, where does God fit into all of that, mm-hmm. and then um, you know what are you modeling to the people below you? So right. yeah, there's a lot there's a lot in that, and we um, you know part of what our focus at Exile is long term rehabilitation. And if we're in this for the long haul, then we have to think about what does that look like? Like, how are we actually going to survive for the long haul if we don't put some kind of boundaries and rhythms in place that keep us healthy? And of course, we're very big promoters Mm -hmm. for counselors because we're both counselors. So we both go to individual counselors and a marriage counselor and coaches and just trying to keep our soul healthy so that we can give out from a healthy place. Yeah. So, so what are some practical things that you guys have done both for yourselves in, in finding that balance, but then also um, the, that soul care and heart care for your leaders? You know, I think for each person, it's a little, it's going to be a little different how they handle that. Um, it's actually um, a, passion of mine that came from sitting through a care for the caregivers seminar, um, you know, led by an organization, uh, I guess everyone there attending were people working in the anti-trafficking world, whether that be child Mm. workers or sex trafficking. And because we're all passionate, we all want to save as many people as possible, but if we all burn out, then what are you going to do? Um, well, and so through that, um, I've kind of developed my own, uh, care for the caregiver that I like, uh, teaching, uh, and sharing with our staff 
especially our staff overseas. Like in two weeks, I'll be back in Congo and I'll be uh, doing a follow up to um, our last care for the caregiver. Our staff already asking for that, which already makes me go, hmm, okay, it must have gone okay. And two, I wonder what's going on that they're already asking for another one, another training in that. Um, you know, but really 2019 was an incredibly hard year, for, especially for our Congolese staff, where in January, and I give you all this to, I know I'm not quite answering your question yet, but I promise I'll get back to it. But um, the beginning of 2019, uh, one of our staff members, uh, a nurse on staff, was kidnapped um, and abused. Uh, we were grateful that she was eventually able to escape, and she is well. She's actually doing really well now, but that was a hard road. And then in mm. July um, of last year, um, our several of our staff were traveling between programs um, from a really um, heavily war-affected area in Congo. And on the way back to the city, um, their vehicle was ambushed. Um, and in that ambush, our country director was shot five times, left paralyzed and, um, you know, them wondering, uh, not only the trauma of the moment, but wondering, is he going to survive? And mm-hmm. it, weeks in ICU and he's alive today. He's in mm-hmm. rehab today, actually right now in South Africa, getting great care. Uh, but it's a, it was a traumatic year. And so um, last year, um, I guess it was in the fall, we were there, we did a spiritual retreat. Um, I think that's one, one of many things that can be done. It's not just carving out um, rhythms in our week, which is essential as well, but also carving out those longer periods of time where we can really step away and allow the Lord to heal us. Um, I won't go into what the spiritual retreat meant uh, for our staff, but I, I will, can tell you day one, you could see long and heavy faces. It was a joy to us um, on the last day to see uh, it kind of come to life again. Like I was seeing my teammates that um, seeing who they really were when they weren't so burdened, you know, the smiles and the laughs and things like that were back. Yeah. Part of our spiritual retreat was actually games. We played a lot of games and we had a lot of fun. Um, And I think that Coming back to I guess your question, what do, what do Bap and I do? Well, mm-hmm. we laugh and we play. Uh, one thing that for both of us makes a big difference in balancing our lives, um, we both love to exercise and we, those endorphins that your body is releasing. I mean, it, it's a game changer for both of us. Um, we're both better humans, better spouses, better leaders, better teammates when we're exercising. And we're also better when we're taking, um, when we have the spiritual rhythms are mm-hmm. part of our life too, like spending time with God. Um, allowing him to fill us up so that we can then give out of that. I, I mean, on a daily basis, I can tell you a difference in, um, and who I am and how I act if I started my day with God or if I didn't, mm-hmm. um, so I'm too busy and I don't make time for it. And that usually ends up being a really crappy day. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately it might be crappy <laughs> around me too, because uh, I'm not at my best. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I think the other thing that That's I would so say good. for our team here um, in the U.S., whenever we hire somebody, we ask them about their community mm-hmm. and do they have a healthy community? Do they have people that they can go to and process with and talk with? And um, do they have a church home, a church community? And we also laugh a ton. I honestly think we're probably 
the loudest ones in our co-working space, more so when I'm here, by was, the way. I was trying to figure out how to graciously <laughs> say that. I was going to say, well, at least one of us is, you know. Yeah, we just laugh <laughs> I mean, you have to, to be able to kind of stick, stay with it and, yeah. and survive. So I think, you know, and dance parties is a must. So, yeah. yeah, a lot of that. With all that being said, how have you guys communicated some of those challenges to your donor base? It's important to like find that balance between consistent storytelling for marketing purposes while respecting your beneficiaries, your national partners. Um, you talked about some of the things that happened even within this year to your leadership and staff. How have you guys navigated that as a ministry um, in the past and maybe more recently as you've learned uh, along the way? Like, What does it look like uh, to be transparent with your donor base, but also um, keep in mind that you need to be protecting your national partners and the beneficiaries and the stories that are taking place within your ministry. Does that yeah. kind of make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And and we think about that a lot. Even on our on our on our website, you'll probably see our Congolese team, but you won't see their names, um, just because it's real. It's really real for them. And so if they have, uh, if there's a name and a face together, then it, it puts them in danger. And honestly, if we, we don't do short-term mission trips and we're really careful with how many Westerners we bring over, um, because it can Mm -hmm. put them in danger if we have too many Western faces around. Um, and then with the kids, we've also made a commitment that we use pseudonyms. So we don't want to use their real names and, um, we don't use kind of random kids that we see on the street. If we use a photo, it's likely going to be a child in our program. Um, so there's, there's a lot of caution around storytelling with you want to be able to tell the kids stories and, and the kids really, really, really want their stories to be told. Mm-hmm. That's one thing that I've learned from the very beginning is that they didn't, you know, a lot of them didn't know that anyone in the world knew there was a war going on and they certainly didn't imagine that people cared about them in the middle of this war and so when you say would you like your story to be told everyone is different but I would say 90 percent of our kids are like yes tell my story of survival Mm -hmm. tell the world what God did and how he saved me I was just to add to that one thing. I've learned that along the way. You know, I didn't know how kids would react to that at first. But even back year one for me with exile, I remember having that conversation with kids and seeing the light kind of come to their face of like, wait, you want to share my story? You want to hear my story? But think about how that taps in for um, each of us. We want to be understood. We want to be known. Who doesn't mm-hmm known and understood and war and violence and trauma steals so many things uh, from individuals. And they've learned this. I don't matter. My voice doesn't matter. So then to share your story is to give them their voice back. Mm -hmm. And that is powerful. And for many, I love whenever we've been able to film stories um, and then turn those into a great video and then share them with the kids for them to see their own story. Mm-hmm. And then they then know, wow, this is my story. People are watching this. What? Now, granted, we don't have a million views on any of those videos on YouTube, but there's still quite a few, you know, and their their stories getting out there. And also their stories are being shared in a way that's honoring to them, but mm-hmm. also informs people and invites them 
to step into the stories as well through different um, you know, opportunities to engage with Exile International or other organizations as well. Yeah, so I think there's that balance between sharing the stories that need to be shared for people to understand the reality of what's going on on the ground and also not exploiting yeah. or um, not dishonoring anybody um, and always right. in the option. Whenever they draw their their stories of heartache, we, we usually use a handkerchief um, just because a handkerchief represents capturing our tears. And so on the handkerchief, they draw often their stories of heartache and their stories of hopes and dreams. And we always give them an option with, with the drawing. Um, do you want to keep it or do you want to send it back with us um, kind of as a story piece so that we can let the world know what's going on with the war? And 90% of them are like, please take it. Um, and we don't, you know, the names often we'll kind of mark the names out. Um, mm-hmm. but, but it's a way for their story to be told too. So yeah, there's, I think there's a balance between the two. That's so cool. Uh, again, as a like core to what we do, storytellers at, at our purpose and core, that idea that stories give their people, their voice back. That was so beautiful, Matthew. Um, I think there's, there's. There's an element of storytelling within the ministry space that we only want to tell stories because it serves our marketing purposes. But um, I I really believe that there is an element of just simply bringing God glory by communicating what He is doing around the world. Like yeah. we know, just just in the conversation with you guys, we know that He is moving in powerful ways through your organization. Just your organization. I mean. There's thousands of organizations that are doing similar work and he's moving in and through those organizations and in through people in, in really, really powerful ways. And he deserves glory for that. Like just, if it was just for that purpose to, to bring him glory for the work that he is doing, um, stories deserve to be told. But uh, this idea that, that stories can give people their voice back, um, that they can be used powerfully to engage the church, to get behind and, and um, be a part of what God is already doing. Um, that's, that's really cool. Mm. I'm going to, I'm going to steal that Matthew. I stole it from someone else too. Um, one of my, uh, when I was in grad school, there's um, almost every paper I wrote relating to trauma and counseling. I was quoting a woman named Diane uh, Diane Langberg, and she's um, a specialist in trauma. Uh, she's a psychologist and specialist in trauma, and she's brilliant and hilarious as I've gotten to know her over the last few years. I remember getting to meet her through this, and actually Beth and I are on an advisory board with her. And I've never been a ball sports kind of guy. Like People would probably freak out if they saw I mean, I, I mean, dude, I don't even know the name of anyone that plays ball right now, but uh, LeBron James. Okay, I do know who he is, but most people probably freak out if <laughs> walking down the street. For me, it's like Diane Langberg. Oh my gosh! And I get to like, <laughs> and talk to her. It's so awesome. And uh, I remember the first time I kind of fanboyed the first time I met her, and like, hey, can you sign my paper? You know. Um, but anyways, it's really I learned that from her, and it's uh, and she not only is she inspiring in that way, but she. She, um, I learned a lot from her. I, I would say Exile's work has been influenced by her because of her influence on me. And one thing I learned 
um, early on was that um, trauma steals our power and our voice. I learned that from her. And so one of the the Mm. core things we're trying to do in trauma care is to empower a victim or a survivor. We want to empower a survivor to have a voice and to have power again. Um, Yeah. So feel free to steal it, but you can give Diane Langberg the credit instead of myself. I will do that. I will do that. Now, how often are you guys telling some of those stories? Is there a regularity and consistency to it? (laughs) We're laughing at each other because we're like. Uh, I mean, every day, to be honest. I mean, whenever you. I mean, as you as you and others who work in ministry and nonprofits know, um, you don't get into it. just because you get into it because you're passionate about it. And it's something that I care deeply about. I mean, part of what we're doing is not just trauma care, but it's about making disciples. And Mm -hmm. that's something that that's a daily thing. You do that every day. Um, But also these, yeah, it's funny. I actually avoid some friends sometimes because they want to know what's going on with the ministry. And I might actually need to do a little self-care and soul care in the moment. I need to not talk about it. But in general, there's hardly a day goes by that I'm not sharing about it. I would say 90% of those days I'm excited to share. Occasionally I don't yeah. feel like it because I just need to take a break. Well, and I would say too, um, I don't think, I think we can't not share them. Like I'm yeah. even, I'm thinking of Samuel's um, and he was abducted by the LRA and was a child soldier and his dad was killed. His, his mom was tortured by the rebel group, the Lord's resistance army. And, um, yeah, he was one of the first kids in our program in Uganda, just really wounded. And I remember he had been in the program a couple of years and, and he pulled me aside and he said, I'm not having the nightmares anymore. Mm. And fast wow. forward two more years, fast forward two more years, and he's in nursing school delivering babies. Because, oh, cool. yeah, I mean, he's a brilliant kid and he had healed to the point that he was able to actually go to nursing school. And so now he graduated actually recently and um, he's bringing life to others. And yeah. it's just so beautiful to see the redemption of the Lord and really what the enemy intended for evil, that God is just turning into beauty and good in life. And so when you hear stories like that and you know these kids and you see them and you've watched them grow up, it's like, you know, we'll go to a restaurant and somebody will say, what do you do? And then yeah. the waiter by the end of the night is going to know about Samuel yeah. just because you just have to tell those stories yeah. sometimes. Yeah. Now I kind of feel like as much as I said, sometimes I don't want to talk about it. Probably sometimes people are wishing I wouldn't, you know, it's the same, same thing. It's yeah. just, we're, we're really crazy passionate about it. And we love these kids, um, especially those like Samuel that came along um, in the early days when the programs were really small and it was less than a hundred kids. We actually, We've seen those young men and women grow up and go from young boys and girls, young survivors to young peacemakers to now men and women um, who are impacting their own communities, not just nurses um, and so many other things and engineers. But more than half of our programs today are actually led by uh, graduates of the program that said, hey, Christ transformed my life through this. I want to bring this to my community. So we actually have a program set up for training them and equipping them to go out and replicate the programs. And so, and once we got to that point, now I'm getting really excited. It's like, you know, I remember doing youth ministry when I was in college and um, 
I was excited to have the opportunity to influence these younger kids. But as I got older and I moved away and I reconnect with them and I find out that they're now doing other things where they're either serving or they just they're not just uh, contributing human beings, but they're actually discipling others and they're becoming influencers. I'm more excited about that. So it's that it's almost like the dad versus the grandpa. I kind of feel like in some ways we get to be grandpa and grandma Mm -hmm. and we see our kids that we've known and loved for so many years and we get to see the fruit of God in their lives. And now we see them reinvesting that in others. I mean, I wish you could see my faith Mm -hmm. on beaming and I, it's exciting. Mm-hmm. How can you not share? Um, so I'm sorry to, that we kind of, I don't know that we answered your question, but um, you know, when you ask where, how often are we sharing it, we're sharing it all the time, but uh, some other places that we share that as well might be more specific. Would you, we try to get new stories on our blog at least once a month of, so that people can see and be inspired. So, you know, one part of your question earlier was marketing and it's not just marketing. It's also, as you said, it's honoring God. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is something he has done. I want people to know that healing and hope truly are possible. There's people that are going to read those blogs that they, they're not in our target group. They're not rescued child soldiers. They're not children orphaned by war, but they've been through their own hell. And reading Samuel's story or Nighty or someone else who's gone through the program and seeing what they've gone through and the redemption God has written in, in their life, my hope and prayer is that they're inspired and that um, that helps them as well. And you know, you know what I find so cool is that... Um... How do I word this? There are so many broken people. Like we all have our secrets and we all have trauma um, and we all have woundedness. Um, And certainly not all of us have gone through deep trauma, um, but we all have emotional woundedness. And it's been so cool Mm -hmm. to people hear and read the kids stories and the depth of redemption that God has um, given them. And then they think, I've, I've heard this so many times, if those kids can survive being forced to kill someone or those kids can survive being captive in the bush or being orphans on the street and look what God's doing with their lives, then it gives me hope for what God can do with my pain and my woundedness. So it's almost like the kids in our program are teaching our Western friends about survival and redemption. And it's, it's really cool to see. And I want to shamelessly plug um, the redemption story that God has written in, in your life, Beth. Um, and you shared, and the shameless plug is more uh, that Beth wrote her story, not only in blog form in the early years, but also in a book um, that was released about five years ago, um, where she really vulnerably shares um, her mistakes, mm-hmm. her pains, her own trauma. But the beauty of it is we're all really, really broken. We're just hiding it. Mm-hmm. You happen to put yours on paper and the that really the beauty is what God can do with each of us. And I know that um, usually they're not coming up to me and saying this, but I hear about it from Beth later, people walking up and sharing their deepest, darkest secrets, things they've been hiding because they felt like no one would ever accept them again. They would be ostracized from their community forever. Yet um, this sharing of her story and then what God has done through actually being vulnerable uh, 
can give them the freedom, you know, my hope and my belief, actually, I know it's happening. So I don't even have to say my belief or my hope, but it's given them freedom to, to share and experience the redemption that only Christ can bring. Um, yeah. Yeah. Mm, you're sweet. Thank you. <laughs> Just honest. That's so good. Well, guys, I think I would have time for one more question. Um, this has been really awesome, but how, how are you guys working discipleship into your programs? Um, so if, if your primary goal is that rescue element, how are you working discipleship and and the gospel into that rescue work? What does that kind of look like for exile? Yeah. Um, you know, I love answering this question, um, because I like spinning it a little bit. Um, and that's (laughs) as people always say, well, where's Christ fit into your programs? And my question is, where is he not? Um, it's the foundation of everything that we do. Um, to, for us, it's a it's integrated into everything. It's not a dichotomy. It's not it's over there, but it's not over here. It's it weaves itself through everything that we do, from the trauma care model, um, where um, our counselors are spending time, obviously one on one or in group, um, investing in the healing and the hearts of these young men and women. That's a part of discipleship. To um, phase two of our program, which is peace building, conflict resolution, that's a part of raising up disciples to be uh, Christ followers and doing a life the way that Christ has called us to as peacemakers. And He's also given us models for how to deal with conflicts. We're doing that, our leadership model. Um, involves not um, it involves teaching them about um, leadership, but also throughout that time they're being mentored, they're being discipled. Um, there's every element of what we do is truly about seeing um, disciples made. There's just that for us and the target group that we work with, they happen to be um, young men and women who need to be discipled who also have survived the wounds of war. So we're discipling them. Also providing very excellent, very professional care from skilled counselors and social workers and nurses attending to all of those things. Um, And, you know, it's just so exciting to see. Again, I've already said it, but that um, as those disciples start um, then going out and making their own disciples, it's it's exciting. So um, I hope that answers your question. in some way, if not, throw it back at me and I'll do it again. No, that's perfect. Thank you guys. Well, Bethany and Matthew, this has been awesome. You guys have provided, I think, a ton of value for ministry leaders and executives. Uh, if if people want to get a hold of you and learn more, how can they do so? Yeah, I would. Uh, first thing, of course, is go to our website, exileinternational.org. Um, in case you don't know how to spell exile, which is, seems to be quite common, uh, a dear friend of mine, <laughs> 10 years, I think he spells exile differently every time he emails <laughs> me. It's hilarious. E-X-I-L-E, like to be exiled from your community is where that name comes from. So exile, E-X-I-L-E, international.org. Yeah. Uh, there's so many videos and stories on there from the kids that... Um, I know people would love to check out. We're all over social media, um, Exile International. We're on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Um, and if you want to reach out and just to learn more, you can email us at info at exileinternational.org. Perfect. Well, thank you, guys. Can I pray for you in the ministry? Yeah, Please. absolutely. Father, I just lift up Bethany and Matthew as they lead Exile International. I pray that you would guide and lead them and um, give them clear direction. Uh, thank you for their um, saying yes to partnering with you in what you are already doing. Father, um, it's so clear that you are already working 
um, in and through the places the exile works. And um, thank you that they said yes to partnering with you in that and, and coming alongside you in that redemption and rescue of humanity, Jesus. Um, you are obviously working in incredible ways, and uh, we just are so happy and joy-filled that we get to be a part of what you're doing. Father, uh, we love you. And uh, we just lift up Exile International. Pray that you would bless this organization. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Bethany and Matthew, thank you guys so much. This was awesome. Yeah, thank you. Hey, you don't have to record this or you can't. Doesn't matter. But can we pray for you and your ministry as well? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Absolutely. Um, Lord, uh, thank you for Reliant Creative. Lord, I thank you that um, they are a creative voice and storytellers um, sharing your story. Lord, I ask that you would amplify um, what they are doing um, to truly amplify your story, to amplify the stories of um, men and women that um, you have sent out into the world to serve you. Lord, I ask that you would be honored and glorified and that um, also all, all those at Reliant Creative would also just enjoy you and have a whole lot of fun doing it too. Mm-hmm. We love you, Lord. In Christ's name. Amen. 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 Thank you guys. Yeah. Well, absolutely. it was awesome having you guys on the show and, uh, we wish you guys the best. Thanks again. Same. Yeah. God bless you. Take care. Thanks, Zach. Talk to you later. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Ministry Grow Show. If you enjoyed it, we'd appreciate it if you rate and or review us on the iTunes store and make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode. If you have a story to share with other ministry directors and pastors or know someone who would be an incredible guest on the Ministry Grow Show, let us know. We love connecting with ministry executives and sharing their wisdom and insight with our audience. Just send us an email at info at reliantcreative.org. And lastly, if you need help telling your ministry story, we would love to share how we can help in that process check out Reliant Creative at ReliantCreative.org. See you next time.